Live Sound Bootcamp, brought to you by Rational Acoustics, developer of Smart, the industry's leading sound system measurement and optimization platform. Welcome to another episode of Live Sound Bootcamp. I'm Brendan Draper, along with my co-hosts, uh, Joe Santarpia and Ryan John. I feel like you almost forgot our names there. <laughs> it's been so long. It, it has been a, a long time. So I guess for everyone else, they've been listening to the episodes every other week, or maybe they haven't. What, but what it really when, was, was I was like, do I say their names in the intro or are we doing the thing where we, where I, they say their names? Where we say our own names. <laughs> yeah. Come and on, that's, man. That's like we, 30 episodes ago. <laughs> that's like, yeah, that's a whole season ago. Come on. No, I'm, I'm fucking Yeah. Here. You've been busy, you know, respect. Yeah. You know, so speaking of busy, you know, how have you been? It's looking uh, a little grim again. It's yeah. What what? It's January right now, so not a lot of shows happening. January twenty twenty two. So things are getting shut down a little bit. I assume for you guys too. Yeah, a couple couple shows canceling here and there. Just a few here and there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's it's unfortunate because there it felt like it was all kind of coming back and things were ramping up and things are getting busy again. And then it kind of slowed down again, but this time it wasn't so obvious of a slowdown. It was more like, I don't know. Everyone was kind of like reticent to hit the brakes because they're like, but, but what if this works? But what if this works? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But then eventually it was like, shit, we got to cancel yeah. some things. I got yeah. so many calls like, new year's eve like week leading up to new year's being like hey so and so's sick like can you fill in like a lot of times and i was like well one i'm i was trying to get away but two like so many people are getting sick it's just like scary to like think about going you know, back it's, in it's, there yeah it, it, it's also interesting I got, I got a few calls that were similar right um you know, I got a call that was like, uh, you know, the front of house engineer and the blah, 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 and the blah, blah, blah on this tour, they're, 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 they're tested positive. Uh, can you fly out and come take over? I was like, okay, well, you know, clearly the protocol system that you have for your, your current tour doesn't prevent people from getting sick. So what are you guys doing to, you know, ensure the safety of everybody? Well, they didn't call me back. Uh, <laughs> yikes. <laughs> because I'm sure someone else said, oh, yeah, cool, I'll do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With no questions, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, that, I, I just thought that was interesting. There wasn't really like a, uh, there wasn't a, a clear answer to, yeah, this, this just happened. How are we going to make sure it doesn't happen to the next guy that comes in? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, well, you know, who, who knows? You know, when their kid came home sick from school, you know, it's, there's, it, scary time like once again Tr truth is it could be any of a million things yeah, yeah. yeah. but you know we're all gonna we're all gonna get through this and we're gonna do what we do we're gonna so do what do we talking about today uh my favorite topic oh yeah actually <laughs> uh is it yeah and uh, your favorite your favorite genre if we combine all these instruments right, if we Joe? combine them all yeah yeah okay we're doing acoustic yeah. instruments today right so guitars banjo mandolin violin viola cello upright bass all that fun yeah, stuff and anything else that is in kind of a similar vein of thing they all kind of seem to you know lie in the same frequency range <laughs> the same kind of miking ish type technique miking di type technique the same kind of problems seem to be with all of these for the most part right yeah yeah, yeah. guys you know I, I just need to get it out of the way you know as brandon kind of mentioned all, all those instruments together is essentially a, a bluegrass band um 
I fucking hate bluegrass. I'm so sorry. Like, you know, I'm, I'm just putting that out there. It's just what is what is it about bluegrass that you hate? It might be it might be it might be like having is it, a. Is it just because they're so happy? And you're just so angry that they're so happy. <laughs> it may be. Maybe yeah. It's it's a resentment from you know how great their lives seem to be or whatever. But also it, going to what you said, you know, all those kind of instruments occupy the same honky fucked up frequency space so then you combine it all and it's just like it's brutal it's brutal to uh so but then you got so, a then you got a song like wagon wheel though which is kind of like all this shit combined <laughs> and that's an amazing <laughs> you like that song I'm, I'm gonna put it on right now i don't know what you're talking about there, there are some good ones out there but you know what i'll bet you that your disdain for bluegrass comes from being a house guy and having a bluegrass band come in and everything seemed fucked. I'm not going to lie. They came in. I'm not going to lie. You're, you're partially 100% right. Yeah. <laughs> partially 100%, partially 100%, 100% right. Yeah. And it's not even because I know that that scenario happened to you, but it's because it's happened to me and it makes me hate this too, right? Because, okay, you get a rock band coming in they all have, you know, guitar amps, keyboards and all their stuff and it all sounds fine. You get a bluegrass band coming in. Very often they're like, oh yeah, by the way, I've got like, you know, a mouth harp and, and like three violins and nothing has a DI. Nothing has, you know, mics or anything. And we want wedges. We brought we this all really loud. We brought this really cool $30, like a uh, 700 year old condenser mic that we're going to crowd around and um, you're going to, you're yeah. going to get to make that sound good. So I'm sorry. I think some disdain for the genre comes from that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Because cause I get it. Yeah. Well, when we're talking about it, too, like, that type of music is not made for a rock club. No, right? no, no, no. And, you it's know, for, and, like, yeah, around the enough. campfire. And nor should people create music, <laughs> you know, that, that, that that's, like, that has to be, you know, translatable into that. I fully support the, like, uh, making some crazy, weird, fucked up sounding record that, like, could never be reproduced live, you know. I'm, I'm all about that. But, so, anyway. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, I've I've even dealt with you know a bluegrass band that does you know five thousand seats a night, if not more. Yeah. And they showed up, and they were like, uh, "Yeah, we don't have our own monitor guy. We need wedges, <laughs> and we don't have DIs or mics for any of our instruments. We have thirteen people on stage, and fuck you." That's yeah. basically what it was. Please, That's what it felt like. please kill me. Yeah. Um, all right. This is this is not the bluegrass episode though. We're gonna go. We're gonna go through these instruments and uh, try to make them sound good. You know from. Uh. Well, whatever, whatever they sound like. <laughs> well, you know, so it goes, it goes back to the same questions we've asked for, I guess, every single episode in this channel by channel thing, which is what, what are you, what are you looking for in the instrument? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, that's obviously a little bit genre dependent, but you know, there's, there's a little bit more to it than that. I figure we should start with acoustic guitar, right? Cause that's probably one of the instruments that I imagine every listener of this show will have dealt with yeah mm -hmm. not just not just in a bluegrass band yeah right right so i mean joe what, what are you typically trying to get out of an acoustic guitar yeah uh it, it really depends on what the show is if it's like uh, one person with an acoustic guitar you might kind of allow for a, a wider frequency range you know maybe let the low end go a little bit lower than if it was like in the context of a band um uh it also depends on how you're capturing it. You know, we'll, you know, we'll get into that more later, like mic versus DI and stuff like that. But, um, clarity, that's what, uh, yeah. that's, that's, that's kind of like the desired thing. Clarity without like harshness, you know, um, I'm going to hop in and 
just double down on that. That's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> like, yeah. clar- Hop in. Clarity is warm. Clarity with <laughs> clarity with oh, warmth is a good another thing. <laughs> you know, warmth and yeah. clarity at the same right. time for an right. acoustic guitar is usually what people want to feel, especially if you're going in blind. You know, to like just as a bass like thing to go for. You know, when you're miking up a band that you've never worked with before, is like probably a good place to start. You know. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I think it's good to, uh, you know, ob- obviously if you've listened to this band prior to seeing them for the first time on stage, that helps you, right? You get a good yeah. idea of where they believe uh, an acoustic guitar might sit in the context of some of their songs, right? Yeah. But there are some other assumptions you just have to make otherwise, right? If this is a solo artist, obviously you can take up a lot of space with that acoustic guitar. You make it nice and big. You have to pretend it's, you know, the bass as well as the the rhythm instrument, as well as the lead instrument. And then there might be a vocal on top of it. Right. Mm -hmm. But if you got a solo artist that has a full band behind him, Mm -hmm. it still may be a singer with a guitar and a full band behind him. In that context, you probably still want to make that guitar pretty present because the, the name on the billboard might just be that artist and everyone else that's playing behind him is, is playing behind them. Mm -hmm. Right. But you probably also have a bass player, you probably also have a drummer. So you can kind of remove some of the low end from that guitar. You can maybe remove some of the percussive elements, but you want to make sure it still stays a melodic instrument. And then you've got kind of the last of those examples where it's like it is a full band and there's just an acoustic guitar that's in there. And it's supposed to just provide some sort of kind of texture some in sh- the context the, of the whole thing. The sheen yeah. string noise. You yeah. Know? The, yeah. It's kind of the rhythm. It's almost yeah. like a tambourine I, or shaker that's, yeah. like, that's got notes in it. Exactly. Totally. I think of it like in addition to that, like it combines with the hi-hat to like make a cohesive, right. like mm-hmm. rhythmic pulse thing. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's a melodic rhythmic instrument, right? It's, it's yeah. a, it's a rhythm instrument that happens to have notes and or chords. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's like kind of the third sound ish you can try to get out of an acoustic guitar. Like this thing that just fits in and you know, it's, it's not necessarily present, whatever, but also another thing to note is How's the player playing it? Are they playing it like mm-hmm. kind of hard with a pick, big chords? Or are they finger picking it? Like mm-hmm. all of these things make completely different sounds come out of that instrument. And yeah. they basically have to be treated completely differently, mm-hmm. which is a huge pain in the ass. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess try and be aware of all of those things, right? Yeah. What about the other ones? Uh, banjo? Joe, bang, have you dealt bang, with this bang. one? Uh, unfortunately, I have. Just unfortunately, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Banjos are cool. All right. Um, yeah, it's uh, a stringed instrument that's like attached to like a snare head or something. It's got Which a very, makes it a melodic sounds, percussion instrument. Yeah. Yeah. It's got this kind of like bring thing going on. Is that, um, is that accurate? Yes. Say? Dead accurate. Can you, what does it sound like? It's, I was going to ask you if you could maybe provide your own example of the boing, the, the, the boing, 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 wait, wait we should got a little bit ethnic <laughs> yeah it's almost sitari a little too sitari yeah yeah, yeah. um what were you about to say brendan i was gonna say we should all do the playing at the same time and then uh it'll sound like someone's <laughs> strumming and playing. we can make a chord yeah no, boing, definitely boing. not um <laughs> so what about banjo i mean what are you looking for in that instrument <sighs> you know I guess, well, at least what I struggle to get out of it a lot of times is the, the notes, you know, you, um, mm. it's, it's hard to kind of, you might find yourself, I, I find myself maybe boosting somewhere to like try to bring the actual, uh, uh, note of it out and then, you know, just like taming those transients. Um, but, but I imagine you're never trying to make a banjo sound huge. 
No, no. Right? You're never really you're trying not, to make it sound super round or anything because it's just not there. You're never good. Yeah, you're never going to. But you know, mitigating. So, the so the question then becomes: Is it a lead instrument in the song you're working on, or is it just in the background as some kind of percussive notey element? Right. I like that percussive notey. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, it's it's got notes in this. I'm saying I like it. I'm telling you, I like it. But you know, give, th- those are kind of like I guess in my head the two paths you can go down with that instrument. There's not really much else no, you're gonna no. kind of it's very. It's a very distinct sound, you know, and you kind of and uh, making it uh, trying to make it something else that'll bother the player, you know. So you mm, know, right, yeah, yeah. right. So, so similarly, mandolin, I feel like it kind of falls in like kind of the same type of world, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. A, l- a little mm-hmm. cuter, a little less harsh than a banjo. Yeah. Uh, in, my, in my opinion, a little bit easier to work with. And I, and I do find, well, yes, especially since it actually has a solid body. Mm-hmm. The, you know, the banjo head, that drum head that's on it, effectively is a microphone to, you know, the strings or whatever. But it's also a microphone to everything else on stage. So the banjo right. tends to be <laughs> full of a lot of other sound. The mandolin doesn't do that as much. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also find that mandolin tends to be more melodies in songs mm-hmm. and, you know, less, less, less so less a percussive background instrument, <laughs> but more of a melody. Yeah. Yeah. It's got I, more melody. Like yeah. It's, it's got a timbre that like fits in a little bit easier. I would, I would say than mm-hmm. like a, a banjo or sometimes an acoustic guitar because it is it, it it does have like a good like resonance to the notes once you start like picking it yeah yeah and the notes are all quite transient too yeah um so how about you know violins violas you get into the orchestral string sort of zone but you know violin can be plucked too uh mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. it's super dynamic also kind of like occupies a, a harsh zone that you'll find yourself trying to tame Mm-hmm. as well as to try and attain the dynamics, you know, so you can kind of bring mm-hmm. out the, the quieter, more nuanced uh, parts and uh, making sure that the, the louder parts aren't um, uh, too harsh or, or painful. Would, yeah, you, I, would you say, though, that you, like, leave it a little more dynamic than these other ones we've been talking about? Just because, I don't, I don't know, I feel like sometimes, a lot of times, string sections or string parts are written to, like, ramp way up, you know, yeah. and if, you know... Yeah, I guess avoiding no. that harshness, but like, yeah, no, they, 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 I mean, naturally, I think it's probably more dynamic than, than those. And, and you're gonna, you're that's gonna, if you, unless you're absolutely obliterating it, you're gonna hear that, um, to some degree, you know? Well, yeah. And the, and the truth is uh, any of the well arranged string parts get big when the song is big, yeah. get small when the song is small. So for the most part, if everything else kind of drops out or gets quiet, you can, you know, you can still hear those string parts as long as they're, you know, appropriately leveled. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I agree with you, Brendan. I, I do tend to do a lot less dynamics treatment on strings like violins and violas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, how about the bassier string instruments, cello and upright bass? I guess pretty similar to violin and viola to me. Like, I, I mean, I guess you're, you're dealing with like sub resonance when you get down there. Um, so, you know, you're going to have to be watching out for like feet a little bit more for feedback, I would say, you know, when you're dealing with those, but yeah. And, and, and mitigating that stuff in general, you know, that it's not really the sound of the, I mean, it's called a bass and, you know, it's a bass instrument. Sure. But compared to like an electric bass or a synth bass or something like that, it's not, you, you don't want the, the extreme low end, the like pummeling, you know, 
right. um, kind of not sub. really particularly subby. Exactly. But 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 like through a DI or something like that, it might reproduce that. So you have to kind of take a step back and and figure out what it's supposed to sound like rather than what's out the gate coming out of the PA. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I guess a good note is that, you know, upright bass is often plucked, right? Plucked with 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 a hand or whatnot. Sometimes mm-hmm. even slapped all that, right? But it can also be played with a bow. Mm-hmm. And the tonality of the instrument is quite different when you do one versus the other. And in many cases, you could have a single artist where they go back and forth between the two, and it can be quite different. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So so violin, viola, cello, upright bass, I, I, you know, I kind of follow that same rule of what we were talking about before is like, is this a main melodic instrument or is this a thing that's kind of stuck in the background to kind of fill out space? Mm-hmm. And I guess I tend to have tonality ideas in my head for if it's a background instrument versus if it's a present, you know, foreground instrument. Mm. Uh, and if you've heard the music before, obviously this is easier. If you've never heard it before, you can generally look at what's on stage and look at how, I don't know, I guess prominently the string players may be placed mm. or how many people are listening to the things the string players say to understand how important they are in the context of the music. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess right. so. Yeah, yeah. It's probably an offensive way to say it, but Damn. you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> oh, nobody listens to what they say. They're definitely not important. <laughs> When you, when you're talking about like the tonality be, uh, difference between like a more of a lead instrument and like a background with these uh, instruments, are you are you thinking like more like top end is more prominent when you're ma- when it's a lead uh, instrument for you or like mid range mid range for me okay yeah so you know basically frequency wise sitting in a place where a vocal might mm-hmm. would would consider like a, a lead instrument. But if I wanted to make it sit more in the background, just scoop out a bunch of the mids and it kind of gets out of the way for other instruments, right? Mm -hmm. Cool. Um, Yeah, you know, top end is kind of like a presence thing. If you start taking off top end, it could seem a little bit farther away Mm -hmm. or, you know, less, I don't know, uh, uh, obvious, I guess. Mm -hmm. But the top end doesn't necessarily like sit in the way of other quote-unquote lead instruments, gotcha. right? Whereas yeah, the yeah. mid-range definitely will. Making so room for the making room for the vocal, making room for the right, lead, right, the lead right, stuff. right. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So, what about expectations? I mean, musicians, I imagine, not imagine, I know, have a different perspective than um, you know engineers. So, the musician's perception I, can be kind of tough to achieve sometimes. Is that a nice way to put it? With these, with these instruments particularly, yeah, I think so. You know. Especially mm. depending on the situation and like what the band is behind them, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Conflicting opinions in that regard, mm. but and and also just what what sounds these instruments make coming out the gate in that context, you know. It's uh, it's often quite different than what you know uh, is recorded, you know, for these types of music. Well, it's also a good point that in things like viol- violin, viola, um, the player's ear is you know in this particular position right next to where the sound hole on the instrument is Mm -hmm. and it's gonna sound different to them than having a a microphone mounted inside it or you know the di system inside it and like what's coming out is not what they're hearing yeah you know yeah i guess same with acoustic guitar too right like it's on your body like vibrating you're not really hearing that direct (laughs) like super harsh string noise coming yeah. right at your face. It's projecting, it's supposed to project in front Away of you. Away from you. You know? Yeah. 
So I think that's, you kind of run into sometimes people want like more, oh, more low end, like in the acoustic guitar. And you're like, I don't want to push, I don't want to push more low or low mids because it just like sounds muddy as hell. But maybe that's, they, they want that feeling in the wedges or they want it in their ears or something like that, you know? Right, right. That actually reminds me when I've done a bunch of studio records, um, when recording acoustic guitar, I very often stuck a microphone just over the shoulder of the player, mm-hmm. kind of near their ear, just to capture what it actually sounds like to their ear. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you can also get away with doing some fun stereo panning stuff for that, or even feed that back into, you know, a Q-mix and then maybe not use it for the mix and things like that. But obviously you can't get away with doing that live because yeah. that's basically a microphone pointed at the audience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, what, what, what are the challenges that you face as an engineer in trying to achieve some of those musicians' expectations or perceptions? You kind of have three things. There's like a triangle of things that, you're, that are all fighting each other that you're trying to find, achieve the balance between. And that's, what is that, good, fast, cheap, that triangle? <laughs> it's very similar, very similar. Yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, same idea, same idea. It's you know it's it's what we're what we're talking about the mus- the musician's expectation. Uh, there's clarity in the front in the front of house mix and feedback, and those are to me the kind of three things that you're drifting between trying mm. to find the sweet spot where every every part of that is happy. The musician's happy because they're like this sort of sounds like the record, and front of house you're like okay I can I can hear this in the mix and it's not fucking anything else up, and then. The system has decided that it will not feed back. <laughs> the system decided that. Yes, huh? the system. <laughs> it's sentient. So those challenges, I mean, it's kind of the same for all these instruments. Pretty much all of them have kind of the same bit of challenge, right? Different levels, I'd say. And, and also, you know, uh, and how it's captured. Um, okay. All kind so, of- so let's, let's talk about how yeah. it's captured. Yeah, yeah, let's do that first. Yeah. I mean, acoustic guitar. Do you have a favorite method of doing this? Uh, I mean, if you know, yeah. What options do you have? You have you can mic it, or you can you know, or it has a pickup or some sort of contact mic, and you can and that's run through a DI. Mm-hmm. Think most live sound engineers would tell you that they would prefer a DI for its you know uh, anti feedback uh, properties as well as uh, the clarity that you can kind of achieve. Um, and bleed, or, and and of course, yeah, of course, bleed. Mm-hmm. Um, a musician might tell you the opposite because it sounds weird and it's like super high endy and stringy, like we've been talking about, and, and it takes work to like work backward from there while maintaining the clarity. Um, so yeah, my I would say DI, and and then yeah. just you know, I imagine you say the same, Brendan. I would say DI. End of story, too, because like you throw a mic on acoustic guitar and this person's like swaying back and forth or like moving around right. at all. Like you're done. Like, <laughs> yeah. 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 Yes. If, there, if there, the mic's on was... a stand, I mean, I was going to say you could also like, if you have like a wireless, like lav mic, throw that inside the guitar and tape it to well, the, there, there was actually a, a microphone. There was a microphone system the DPA. that clamped onto the body of the guitar and you could yeah. point it at like the 12th fret or all these weird things like that. That was a thing. Mm-hmm. didn't really take off that well, but what's inside an acoustic guitar 
on those DI systems very often is something like a lav mic anyways, mm-hmm. on like a teeny little, uh, you know, gooseneck. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the majority of those DI systems are either a, a piezo bar underneath the bridge or, or something similar, mm-hmm. or a microphone, or a combination of the, the two, or potentially three. Some of them even have multiple microphones. I believe the tailors have like a body microphone. It's like attached to, you know, the, the between where the bridge of the guitar is and where the strap goes on the back. Mm-hmm. There's a body microphone or something there in addition to a microphone, in addition mm-hmm. to piezo and stuff like that. So the pickup systems are pretty varied. Mm-hmm. They're like all over the place. Mm-hmm. What, what about, uh, you know, with pickup systems like that? You know, many of them have got, you know, EQs and things like that on the instrument itself. Yeah. Do you generally let the musician kind of set those or do you just set it all even? Like what, what, are, what are your thoughts and feelings and stuff there? Uh, kind of more dependent on the uh, inner like relationship situation, you know, if, if it's like, you know, if it's an artist I'm touring with, you know, there's more of an open dialogue about that. If this is just like, you know, at the club, you know, I got 20 minutes to soundtrack, I might just tell them to set it how that, you know, I, it, it all depends. It all depends on what's... You know, I, ideally, if it sounds crazy out the gate, then you might be like, "Hey, turn turn this down or this down." But or or like put it through the monitors and be like, "Is this how it's supposed to?" Sit? <laughs> you know? yeah, right? Yeah, is like, this is right? That, is that how you want it? Yeah. <laughs> Just put it through flat. Yeah. yeah. Brendan, same same ish for you. You're kind of it's like a bit of a push pull flexibility thing. Like, yeah, it depends. I mean, sometimes when we're like setting up or like right before we line check, I'll be like, "Is there any EQ on the?" guitar already do, do you ask that pretty much when it sounds kind of messed up i usually tr- i i think i usually yeah. try and ask it like before it we even listen to it mm-hmm. you know just so i know like or like so it, you can you can pre-prep yourself kind of pre-prep for how fucked my, up it's gonna sound <laughs> pre-prep myself <laughs> or be pleasantly surprised you know yeah uh yeah but yeah you should try i try and ask about it before we we get going just be aware of it whatever whatever decision you make be aware of it and know that that you know if it's fucking you up start there right right yeah you know i i find that the majority of the eqs on those guitars are not that great Mm -hmm. especially when top end is boosted a bunch on them Uh, it tends to get quite hissy (laughs) Uh, so you know given that for the most part i prefer when the eqs are all flat Mm -hmm. that doesn't mean it has to be flat every time but one thing I'm super adamant about is uh, between soundcheck and show, Doesn't that we change. put tape over the entire thing so that <laughs> nobody can change it, nor accidentally bump it and change it, because it can throw off yeah. everything. That's a good point. At least usually the zero point is like it's notched or something, so you can you know it can be returned to that, and it's known when it's you know at the same level. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, like like you said, Brendan, if 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 a player is used to a thing sounding a certain way, mm-hmm. there can be a benefit in leaving it that way just because then the player is more comfortable even yeah. if it kind of doesn't work that well for front of house or monitors. Now, if it's pretty crappy for front of house or monitors but you feel confident that you can kind of recreate that back for monitoring in maybe a better way, mm-hmm. then have them zero it out and you know, give it a shot. Be like, "Okay, well, I see what you're going for." Let me try it this way, and and if it's cool, cool. If it's not, we'll go right back to your EQ. Yeah, you know, right, right. Um, level is a big one there. You know, I pretty much always want the level pinned all the way wide open. Yeah, and then I want no one to touch that knob ever again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, banjos, mandos tend not to have as many controls as an acoustic guitar, right? I mean, right. I, I don't think I've seen one that has 
much. I think I've seen a mandolin that maybe had a two-band EQ and a level, but that's about it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, What I have seen is that sometimes they'll have their own DIs, those like, uh, is it Fishman? Is that the company? Mm -hmm. With those, you know. They sound pretty good, but they have like EQs and, you know, boosts and all this crap, so. Yeah, and... Same same idea. A a DI, so first of all, um, pretty much you shouldn't ever want to mic up a banjo on a live stage it's it's never going to work for you right i mean unless you guys have seen a scenario where that works well uh, i mean you've done it unfortunately <laughs> yeah unfortunately i <laughs> was, have two, it and it fun. terribly yeah. um so if you get a banjo that doesn't have a di in it i'm going to tell you my favorite secret okay remove the back Uh-oh. tape a 91 inside it on oh, the back of it yeah and then let the cable come back in put put the back back on Bam, done. It basically sounds like a Banjo DI. Because a Banjo dope. DI is basically, basically a capsule <laughs> like a 91 yeah. Yeah. or 98. They're the same capsule yeah. uh, inside a Banjo. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I did this to Andy Grammer for a while. And one of his big hit singles uh, had a Banjo as like a major part of it. So the entire intro is Banjo. And then there's this middle section with Banjo on it. And, you know, to, to go back to what we were talking about before about it being a primary instrument versus a background instrument. Uh, the way I ended up dealing with it was, first of all, we were getting rental banjos everywhere we went, so they were different. Some of them had DI, some of them didn't. This is where we learned the 91 trick. You just stick it inside, tape it in, bam, go on with your day. Um, but I ended up putting it on two different faders, right? One was the kind of lead banjo fader. The other one was the background banjo fader. And on that lead banjo fader, it had a bunch of that mid-range still in it. And then the moment that that section would kind of end and it would go into full band with the banjo behind it, it scooped out all that mid-range and just left in the plucky top so that Mm. it cut through just enough to be like a noty percussion instrument, as I I guess like to say. Noty percussion-y. Love it. But yeah, yeah, banjos. Um, I'm equally not a big fan. I also think they tend to sound pretty rough. It's tough. That's man. that's the nice way to say it. I it's, guess it's a it's a, yeah it's a harsh it's a harsh instrument for sure. It, it's too bad though because I actually kind of like the instrument like in front of it sitting there. I think it's got a neat sound. I think it's cool. It's just that capturing it is without using a microphone in front of it, it tends to sound kind of crappy. Right, mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. I, uh, backing up, I will say that a combo can sometimes be nice to to find that middle ground of like you know what the expected sound versus, you know, what's workable in a PA. You're you, talking uh, mic and DI? Yeah, yeah. You know, a mic in front of a co- an acoustic guitar and a DI, that can, that can sound pretty nice. Hmm. That can sound nice. So, and, and, you know, given that, I, I would make the assumption that for monitoring, for the most part, you're going to use the DI, the DI especially yeah, if it's wedges, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then you might get away with using the, the mic for front house. I did that kind of recently. Um, it was something for a radio station here. And one of the support acts, they didn't really have anyone to sort them out. So myself and, and um, the other engineer with my act just sorted them out. But we knew that it was going to get recorded and used for a radio broadcast. So we also threw up a 414 in front of the acoustic guitar. Mm. There you go. Sweet. And captured that. But obviously for monitoring, we used the DI mm-hmm. and all that. And the hope is that maybe they can also use that 414 as a you know nicer, rounder sound when they do the actual radio broadcast mix. And it did. It sounded really good. Mm-hmm. But you could hear a good amount of the wedge in it, you know? So right. there's yeah. some balance there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I guess we're in this mic placement DI thing. Um, mandolins, pretty much always DI, right? 
Yeah, yeah. I have had to fucking mic a mandolin, and it sucked. It's what, did, just, what did you do? Like, oh, yeah, what did you do? I, I think I did, like, the 81 taped to the 57, um, like, with the diaphragms lined up thing. And How just tried to, not, not well. I mean, not well. It was just, so why you know, did you use to, the two mics versus just one for uh, this crappy thing? It was, it was like a, it was more, it was like a, it, I can either use them both together or like kind of pick between the two as we go. And, you know, just like, it was, it was like an, oh shit thing. Like, I don't know what the fuck I'm going to do. So I'm going to put, put both. I'm going to have two have, options. Yeah. You <laughs> didn't have time to like AB one versus the other. It was kind of, yeah. let's just throw them both up and yeah. pick the one that works best at the time. Yeah. 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 I get so. that. It, yeah, it was you know it was uh, naturally hard to get to cut through anything, and you know, um, and it was inconsistent because as they moved, you know that's a small instrument, you know, so like a, yeah. a, the smallest motion is, completely changes the tonality of it. Right, it's just like oh Jesus. Anyway. So basically, you'd you'd always suggest DI on a mando if you can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like, okay. or even like, I mean, maybe a ninety-eight like attached to it might have been might have worked better. Yeah. I, I didn't have that option, but um, yeah. Or like, they probably make. I mean, what we're gonna go into with like violin and viola, like those DPA clip-on, right? Exactly, mics. something that's like that. Similar, yeah. Something you know, like that. The thing, cool. the thing that's tough though is that when you watch a mando player play, their hands are all over all of the instrument all the time. Yeah. Mm. So even if you clipped on a mic, it's probably going to get touched or hit by a hand, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe there's a solution yeah. there, but like, you know, I watch them and it looks, it looks like a giant playing true. with like a tiny little mm. thing. And it's like, it just, it just seems like it would be a dangerous scenario to put anything that could get knocked in position or yeah, not outside of it. it and just rely on that. Yeah. And just rely on that. And yeah, also so I would still go for a DI. Yeah. And also the hand is probably blocking it half the, would it be blocking it half the time. Right. Even if you could get it, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I've also never seen a Mando player that stands still. They're always like, like kind of a little bit all over the place. Bouncing around. A little bit quirky, bouncing around. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Some kind of some kind of hat, you know. Some yeah, yeah. Usually, usually, yeah, it's the Mando hat. It's it's you know the early reflection yeah. hat. Yeah. Okay. Contrary contrary to what people might think, we we don't hate musicians. It's not. No, no, not at all. I think they're the best. Yeah. Uh, we just like to make fun of them in front of them to their faces and on podcasts. Yeah. yeah. Fair enough. And we like to make fun of each other and other engineers and yeah. basically everything. This is. Yeah. It's all. It's always good. It's when a you're sign on, of endearment. Yeah. Right? When you're on yeah. tour and 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 you're just like poking jokes at people the whole time. That's uh, just, like the best. Yeah. <laughs> just chopping it up, fucking, yeah. just chirping about. Oh man, I, I I flew out to the East Coast recently to do a fill-in gig for an artist I'd never met before, and you know land do this gig with them for two days or whatever, and then come back, and then their normal guy comes back. So you know you gotta you gotta make friends with them really fast. You're gonna you know about to go live on their bus, right? So I think I think it took like eight seconds or something like that, eight or nine seconds before I just started like ripping into one of them. Damn, <laughs> and and by the end of that first day, we had the conversation of, well, you know, if if we're making fun of each other, it means we like each other. If right. I said nothing, then that means I feel like I can't say something because it might be true. <laughs> so right. I can't make fun of him. Right, right. But it, it was it was a good time. We all we all had fun. But yeah, it it was one of those things of just diving right into just joking. So, violins, violas. Um, I've done a lot of things here. I've, I've tried a little bit of everything. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I'm interested in, in what you guys have to say. Tell me, tell me what you, what you like, what you don't like, and um, you know, mic placement, DI, all that stuff. I'll tell you what I don't like is just having 57s or 58s and trying to. 
trying to make <laughs> trying to make that work and I'm trying to make that work with like drums and like a bass and sh- and like yeah. a, a electric guitar you're like oh no oh no <laughs> like yeah i guess i guess just in general a mic could it has it has a, a much higher probability of success the less there is on, on the stage you know like particularly yeah. a drum kit if there's a drum kit Throw the mics out the fucking... Throw them in the trash, because it's not happening. Just throw them at the drum kit, because yeah. they're going to be drum mics anyways. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> I I don't... You could... With the DPA, that little tiny one that like goes right on the bridge. 4099. Yeah. Right, right. You probably... Right. Something like that. Something like that. Yeah. But not not a 57 on a fiddle with no, a drum no. set, which, again, I've done. It sucks. I, yeah, and it's... The violin's going to sound like shit, and all the bleed going into the back of that mic is going to sound like absolute trash, too. So you're kind of getting trash on both ends with the dynamic. Trash on trash. Yeah, so it should be a band name. Right. So yeah, DI with a pickup or whatever kind of name of this podcast. Trash on trash? Yeah. Damn. I like it. Burned. All right. So DI with some internal pickup. Yes. Yeah. Um, there are also, you know, DIs that kind of attach to the a clip-on mic type scenario. And when I say DI, I just usually really just mean like, you know, quarter-inch output. Yeah. Here's a, qu- on, here's on. a question: Why why do they use the uh, the like Fishman DI specifically for like acoustic guitar and like all these acoustic instruments? Is there any benefit to that versus just a DI? It has it has an amplifier and EQ circuit. You know, that okay. that's, that's geared toward those kinds of instruments. You're talking like the, the DI pedal, DI type Fishman yeah. box, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because okay. yeah, the Fishman also makes pickup systems that go in guitars, mm-hmm. and they're pretty good. But yeah, as as Joe said, it's got, I, I think that one might even have like, what, like a five-band graphic EQ on it and a couple other things? It's got or at an, least it's, the pedal does. It's got an EQ for sure. The one I'm mm-hmm. thinking of has it, I think it's like, a, yeah, there's a three-band. And know. I'll be honest, it, it actually sounds pretty good. It's not bad. Yeah. Um, but, you know, in, in the context of, of violins, violas, the frequency ranges and stuff and, and all that, that that might be on that Fishman may or may not work, mm-hmm. right? Because the assumption with an acoustic guitar is that the body is of roughly a certain size, right? And that's why it resonates in a certain way. Obviously, a violin and a viola is going to have totally different resonance because they're physical size. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, all of it can work. But... Uh, Violins, violas, you guys lean towards DIs either from an internal pickup or, or quarter-inch outs on a mic that is clipped on and attached to it. Mm-hmm. Things like the 4099 are amazing, these tiny little clip-on mics that you can actually attach to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I've also had to do the over-the-shoulder microphone, you know, a, a little pencil condenser over the shoulder. Yeah, yeah. not, not fun. That's hard. It, it works, but, you know, of course, as you can imagine, the bleed's a lot worse because you have much greater distance to your yeah. source, which then means your ratio of your distance to the source versus your distance to the source of all your bleed and all that crap is, you know, a little bit farther off. I think probably for me, um, outside of aiming for things like DIs and, and, and all that on, on those strings instruments, the most important thing for me is to move them farthest away from the loud shit on stage. Mm-hmm. Right. So if you've got a drum kit on stage, I want the strings on the opposite corner as far from that drum kit as I can put them. Same with uh, uh, distance from horns. It's the same kind of thing. I want them as far away from that as I possibly can. Yeah, I mean, yeah that's, that's, helpful. that's helpful without the 
the mic. Too. That's how we'll with the DIs even because yeah, that, right. that all that shit bounces around inside the body of the instrument, like you said earlier, and can and, can, can suck. And with the mic, use the null the null points to your advantage too. To right. Like yeah. Try and yeah. reject as much as possible. You know, so if you are going to go with something like doing an over the shoulder mic on a, a violin or viola, the hope is that your violin or viola players are seated and they're not moving, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. even if they are standing. You know, as Joe said, regarding some of the other stuff, if they move a little bit, it makes a pretty significant change. Um, I've done it a bunch on TV shows um, just because for some reason it happened to be necessary that we, we didn't have clip-ons or whatever. And this kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier. I, I found a ton of violin and viola players show up that don't have a DI system in their own instrument. Mm-hmm. Um, so then you kind of have to do whatever you can. And it's unprofessional. And, and sadly, I don't own like 10, 40, 99s. Cause if I did, I would just use the hell out of those everywhere. <laughs> I, I wanted to mention too, like a lot of the times, sometimes bands will do shows. I'm kind of like thinking of like local music scene where they're like, Oh, it'd be so cool to like add on a violin player for like this show, you know? Mm-hmm. And then it's like, but without like the pre prep or like, bringing yeah. all the stuff to like make it work it's like they show up at the club and it's like but what do you got for our like violin player it's like uh we have a violin player that's what we have yeah <laughs> you're yeah, like so, what, what that's that's not enough or like a lot of these clubs are not geared toward most rock clubs are not geared to provide what you really really need to make it sound good and at least in like the you know 300 to 500 person range you're not going to have like dpa no, well, no, okay, that's just that's not just a stock mic package. No, yeah. for sure. Well, let's let's jump back to that in just a second. But right. let, let's assume, you know, reasonably similar for cello and upright bass, right? Let, let's not leave those two out, right? Oh, yeah, Still, ideally, DIs or mm-hmm. internal mics or clip-on mics. Uh, with an upright bass, I've definitely gotten away with a lot more. Upright, um, you know, yeah, upright bass. Putting a mic out in front, I mean, you can get pretty close. Mm-hmm. Because they tend not to move much. Yeah, as yeah. long as it's not like a punk band where they're like jumping up on the thing and like you know, doing that. But uh, yeah, that band, The Living End. They oh, were Living the End. Yeah, that's <laughs> oh my god, I love that band. <laughs> Dropkick Murphys or something? Did they? Did they? I don't know. Uh, just, Dropkick Amanda. never did Upright, but they did have Mando and a bunch of other stuff. Nightmare to mix. But but you know, now that we're in that conversation about rock bands and all that, let's talk about the the rock club and pulling in some of these instruments that we're talking about here, right? Because as you just said, they might not have 4099s in their mic arsenal to clip on to a violin or a viola. They certainly won't, yeah. No, they've got 57s that have been bathed in shitty beer for the past 15 years. So, you know, you get into this scenario of trying to, like, get, I, I guess, optimal tone versus the amount of bleed, right? So, like... Yeah, on a violin, optimal tone might come from, like, I don't know, a U67, like a foot above that violin, right? Amazing. Great. But then the amount of bleed would be insane. And this is why we jump into things like using DIs and using, you know, clip-ons or internal mics, not because they sound the best, but because they give you the most of that instrument versus the other shit on stage, right? True. Yeah. And I think that that's where we kind of run into that musician expectation thing. Right. Because like our goal is usually to like avoid all the bad shit and just be able to get something out of it. 
when we're in these bad situations. Yeah. Something then, that won't feedback that you can hear. Yeah, that won't Please feedback God. and yeah. the audience will be able to hear it. You'll be able to hear it. That kind of thing. But their goal is like, this is the best sounding fucking violin like I've ever heard in my yeah. life. You know? Right, right. And well, they're also the violin player, of course. Yeah. This doesn't yeah. sound like the Trampled by Turtles record. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know. It's the only bluegrass band I really know. <laughs> Are they bluegrass? I don't know. Whatever. I don't even know. I, yeah. But anyways, though, the the gist there is that, like, you know, the, the mic choice, the, the DI choice, all that stuff, it's not necessarily because it is the best sounding thing, but it is often the best balance of tonality and, and bleed control, you know? Yeah. So what about DIs themselves? Like, uh, let's talk acoustic guitars, and let's lean into that a little bit right now, because I imagine that most people listening to this you know deal with those reasonably regularly uh on an acoustic guitar let's say we've got a di you know coming out of the guitar um you know we don't know what's inside there because usually you don't right but out of that quarter inch do you guys have preferred di's that you like to use for acoustics i feel like the countrymen's usually do a pretty good job yeah uh, i like i like the rndi a lot that, that is my go-to. Yeah. A active DIs in general, you know, preferably something with a nice transformer, you know, can give, can, it, it can, it, it sounds different. It really does, you know. Um, yeah. And it, and it's louder. You get more signal on your, uh, on the output of it there. Well, I, I guess that's the implication of my question is, right, you know, if you're in a DI scenario for an acoustic guitar, right, you don't get to pick your microphone you're using in the same way you'd pick a mic that goes onto a guitar cab. Mm-hmm. So do you choose your DIs in a similar type way? Because I know I do. If I've got a really, really like tubby sounding acoustic guitar, I might not use like a bassy DI. But if I have something that's maybe a little thinner, I will use an RNDI. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Um, yeah, I, I, active DIs in general, you know, uh, it's not often that I have a locker with 50 different types of DIs, but yeah, um, something... Yeah, something nicer. If if there's a, a countrymen's are you know I find I find they're a bit more present. You know, if mm -hmm. if it's something that is a little dull sounding, you know, I might go for that. I mean, I agree with you. I I think really the implication of me saying that really is that like you can choose a DI the same way you can choose a microphone. Totally, and it yeah. will affect your 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 signal and tone and all that. Um, what else is there on an acoustic that you kind of, you know? try to be in control of do you know what i mean well um going back to your your basic channel controls okay um i, I think your high pass filter specifically is kind of your that's your main kind of parameter going back to what you were saying as far as like where it needs to how much space it needs to take up in the mix like like the 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 less space that you can afford for the acoustic you know the higher up you can kind of go with that um right and so if you want the acoustic to sound bigger you leave the high pass setting lower exactly if, if, if it's you so, want to sound smaller exactly so solo what artists is by a lower setting you might go for Let's say it is a solo artist. What's the setting you might go for? Uh, you still, you still really want to get rid of that like crazy boom. You know, you don't want something that's like annoying and unnatural sounding. So like a hundred hertz is a nice place to start. Maybe as low as eighty, maybe as high as one hundred and sixty, or or even two hundred for for a still pretty full acoustic guitar sound. Um, yeah. And then and then you know, I would say if the if the slope of the of the high pass is pretty like 
shallow. Shallow. It's you can creep it up and like kind of see what it does because like a little taming of, you know, of that gradually down can be kind of nice, you know. Or or even in conjunction with either a low shelf, an EQ, yeah, or or and or a little dip just above it. You know, some sort of uh, notch, you know, between two and four or five hundred. Um, and, and, and with all of that really molding where it sits in the mix. Then after that, it's, it's kind of, you know, everything above that is kind of like the tonality then at that point. You know, it's, it's less about uh, where it's sitting in the mix and it's like how it, how it sounds to your ears. You know, the brightness, the, the string sound, you know, whether it's uh, a very kind of like metallic sounding guitar that's nice and bright or like a, a more wood sounding warmth yeah. Um, you know, older guitar. You know, both of those sound like good attributes, whereas very often I hear a guitar and I'm like, this kind of sounds plasticky and it sounds harsh and, right. and kind of, uh, you know, plinky, or I don't even know the word for it, but like, you know, uh, bitey, Un- I guess. Unnaturally, yeah, unnaturally bitey or something. Do you, do you find that you run into that kind of tonality reasonably regularly? With DIs, sure, yeah, yeah, and so that's do you, and that's, do you have some go-to positions for EQ where you kind of like aim for here to kind of cut boost five k shelf um, up, you know, and and adjust that up or down, um, and then and then maybe another dip around like eight or ten k to really just bury that like nastiness. You don't want to get rid of it too much, and and it'll, you know, it's, it, it all depends on how much string you want, I guess. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Brennan, anything anything similar? Yeah, I mean, usually I sweep around in the, you know, 3 to 6K and find, like, any particular nastiness mm-hmm. and kind of, like, do a dip, do a dip there. And, and just for clarity, when you're saying sweep around, are you saying you do a narrow boost and yeah, kind of go around until you find it, right? Yeah, like, as they're playing and just, like, see if, if there's, like, in general, like, uh, a spot that, like, I hate you know, or that's like ripping my, ripping my ears to shreds, then I'll dip specifically there. But if it kind of seems like a general thing, then yeah, I'll like do a more wider dip out or do a shelf or, or a low pass or something like that. Yeah. Ryan, there was a thing that you had said, uh, on a previous episode a long time ago that I wound up trying and and liked to where you were saying you put like a very, uh, slight room reverb as an insert on the acoustic guitar di channel rather than as a send and return just to kind of give it a little bit of seeming like it's in you know not you know an ear directly next to a string sound and uh it's i I found it pretty useful too and pretty helpful to kind of mitigate that without having to like destroy too much of the high end you know yeah yeah you know it's funny I, i i landed on that because um I remember there's some acoustic guitar I, I had to deal with and I knew that the pickup was just a piezo. Mm-hmm. It was just the, you know, little electronic pickup uh, that is underneath the bridge. There was no microphone inside the body of that guitar, right? And it sounded exactly like you described. It sounded like it was like, you know, right in your ear. It mm-hmm. was just too too close, if you will. Yeah, especially, so, especially if an artist is on in-ears and then it's like, it sound the sound is of that that's directly in your ear and then that's actually directly in your ear it's it kind of right right the speaker is also directly it'll, in your ear exactly it'll drive them crazy you know so um so you know given that i was trying to find a way to emulate the body of a guitar right to mm-hmm. just make it seem like there was more space around it and emulate some of that resonance of the you know body itself 
because the piezo didn't have that in it. I mean, theoretically, mm -hmm. technically, there was some of it in it, I don't know, from, from it bouncing around inside of it, but, you know, it didn't sound like it had it in it, right? So, yeah. you know, inserting a reverb on the guitar set 100% wet, set to incredibly short time, like, you know, well under a second. And it has such a surprising amount of control on the tone like such a surprising mm. amount of control. You can yeah. make it go from sounding like this tiny little studio guitar to like a big jumbo and all this stuff just by changing how that reverb is set. Yeah. Did you did you put it like before you did any EQ or other processing or like Yeah, Joe, when you tried that, how I start, did you do it? I started there. I started there and tried to treat that as like the mic sound, you know? Got it. And then EQ'd from there. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And and I, and also I don't know sorry, I don't know if you mentioned it here, but there you mentioned having the mix at like, you know, I don't know, 15, 20, 30% or something like that. Not not all the way up, you know. Got it. Yeah, see, I actually start with it 100% wet. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Um because that is like this is the mic'd sound coming to me from uh -huh. a space, right? Mm, cool. But I'm actually more interested in, in how you ended up using it because this to you was a new idea to try. Yeah. Whereas I think I had iterated through so many different things and like kind of landed on this where it was like, um, I think, I think my path to there was I kept getting acoustic guitars that I thought sounded kind of terrible and I would end up with pretty hacky EQs, pretty crazy yeah. looking EQs. Yeah. Where I was like, it doesn't make sense that the EQ should be this bad. Like yeah. it, I shouldn't need to do this much to it to kind of make this sound proper to me right right and i'll be honest i probably ended up like getting in this like little bit of a mental like over focus thing where i'd find this harshness in the strings or something and i'd find that and then i'd take that out and then now that that's gone something else some other harshness up. has popped out and yeah. i'm okay i gotta take that out and now it sounds boxy gotta take that out all of a sudden you look at your eq and it's like this 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 upside down you yeah and you're yeah, like yeah. what the hell's going on here yeah and you take it off and the guitar sounds crazy but it sounds like fuller and like whatever. Yeah. But then you put it back on, you're like, well, the guitar doesn't sound crazy anymore, but it doesn't sound very full. Yeah. But it works. And you kind of end up in this shitty compromise of like, I fixed these problems, but honestly, as a whole, it still doesn't sound great, but it's maybe better than what was before. The classic tail chase session. It, that's exactly yeah. what kept happening yeah. to me on acoustics. Yeah. That's how I ended up in this spot of like, let's try this thing where I insert a reverb on it and use the reverb to tailor the general tonality of the guitar. And also a lot of these inserted reverbs kind of eat up a little bit of that harshness and like they, they kind of sort it out for you. Yeah. So what I ended up with was something that, you know, is a high pass, maybe a bit of a low pass. If there was something that really, really stood out, this is pre putting this reverb there. If there's something that really stood out as like kind of harsh on it, I might, you know, notch it out a little bit. And then I'd usually try and find that boominess of the guitar where mm. like, um, you know, you hit a low note and it kind of goes that yeah. note, try and pull that out a bit and then insert the verb and go, is this helping? Is this better? Right. And then, you know, on the Avid desks, there's that button for input direct, which allows you to basically bypass all your processing. So I would use that to kind of AB. And once I'd gotten into that, yeah, I know, right? Plug. <laughs> once I'd gotten into that workflow of doing things where I had, you know, a little bit of EQ that was corrective, then this reverb. And then some processing after that, you know, usually like a dynamic EQ or something like that here and there. Then when I A-beat it, I was always like, yeah, this is definitely better now. Yeah. Yeah. It's, so, uh, it's, it's, it's a great, it's a great quick way to, to, yeah, to get rid of some of that shit. And 
it's funny. We're talking about doing all this crazy processing, which you wind up doing. And, and this, I think, is funny. It's the funny, like, argument with the musician and, like, their kind of expectations. Well, they're like, well, I mean, look, you're like, you know, from, from their standpoint, they're like, I've got this, like, $6,000 beautiful acoustic guitar or, like, million-dollar violin, Stradivarius, whatever the fuck, and you're telling me that I should, like, drill a hole in it and put some shitty pickup that you're just going to fucking hack to shreds anyway? It's like, I, <laughs> I get the point. I get that it sounds counterintuitive and it's stupid, but, like, it, it, it really is, you know, it's, it's, it's really the way. It's no, the way. but you know what? You know this what? The I, way. You know what a thing that I wish people would do more is acoustic players. Yeah. Plug your DI into your computer and hear what it sounds like recorded. Mm-hmm. And if it sounds crazy, you know, maybe do something to that DI signal. Replace the, the pickup that's in it or, or try messing with the settings that are on it until it doesn't sound crazy anymore. Go at it until you're like, what's coming out of this is something I'd be happy with in the house. Right. Because yeah. I feel like a lot of guitar players have never plugged that thing into something and actually heard what it sounded like. They just assume that what it sounds like in front of it is also what it sounds like coming out of that cable, which it yeah. doesn't. No, no, it doesn't. It's uh, it's, qu- it's quite different. <laughs> um, yeah, but I, f- I think that that's a gap that many players just kind of, they forget that that gap exists. They just make yeah. this assumption that what's coming out there is what they hear. And I think it would really help a lot of people to actually spend a moment to listen to that and go, Oh, this isn't what I expected it to be. And, and how it's played. Dare I say. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I, that's a good call because how it's played on an acoustic, I think makes maybe more of a difference than the pickup system that's inside it. Mm. I mean, sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, someone just, just bang, bang, banging away at it, you know, just like, ripping into the strings you know it might sound pleasing you know yeah as you're playing it like just you know your head above the guitar in a room whatever but then yeah that that signal through a di that type of style of playing particularly kind of sounds terrible in a DI. well I'll also add in the energy of a crowd and all that players often just play harder and faster yeah. and louder and honestly an acoustic guitar when it's really smashed Sounds like, like, like if you're just really digging into it, <laughs> it doesn't like sound shit. great. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Um, you lose all. It's all string sound and no note. It's, no notes. It's yeah. More percussiony, less noty. Um, I, I will say though, you can get away with a little bit if you give that player a really thin pick. True. Um, true. If you got yeah. a player who you know is just going to hack it anyways, and they're just going to go because they get excited, and it's it's like that's okay. They should get excited when there's a crowd there. It should be awesome, right? Yeah. But at the end of the day, you want the audience to hear the notes and you want it to be clear and all. If you're in that spot where you can have that communication and say, hey, try it with this pick one time mm-hmm. and see if it works. It's going to feel weird because there's not the same kind of resistance on your hand as a player. You're expecting it to kind of like feel like it's mashing against the strings. Mm-hmm. But it might sound awesome. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that that's a thing I tend to do i mean usually we don't have the ability to change how a player's playing right no. you're getting what you're getting no yeah. um about, i haven't or go ahead brendan oh no no I, I mean i was gonna jump into like well you said changing how they're playing like do you feel like using dynamics is like kind of a way to adjust for those things a little bit you well know? so I, what, what i was about to say is that um one artist that i work with pretty regularly He's a bit of a terrible acoustic player. Great songwriter. 
Oh, you know, it's, it's yeah, I know I shouldn't have said that out loud, oh. which is why I'm not going to say his name. Wow. Out loud. Come on. His, um, huh? I've, I've told him he's, he's rough, right? But You've told- the problem is, is that he will absolutely mash it in some parts of some songs. And then in other parts, it's quiet finger picking. Right. And from a processing standpoint, um, there isn't an easy way to make both of those sound good on the same channel. Right. Because of the quiet finger picking, it's 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 really quiet. Right. And when it's really quietly played in the guitar, you actually want some of the low end to be there. And, you know, it'll put out more low end. Top but then end when he's too. really mashing it, it's going to be a, a crap load of top end and no low end. Yeah. Right. But you have your snapshots and you're like 96 channels. Well, that's that. That's what I was about to say. Is that I actually put it on two separate faders. Uh, so I do put it on two separate faders, right? There's the finger picking fader. There's the the mashing it fader, and then there's actually another one for when he actually plays percussion on the body and stuff too, because that happens in the show as well. Sweet. And that one's got a duplicate channel that's sent to the sub that has a gate on it, so that when he hits it, it sounds like a kick drum. Yeah, all this stupid stuff. Jeez. If you guys can figure out who this is. I don't know. You get a prize from Ryan John. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll... No. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan John will will show up and, like, critique your mix at your next show. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll do that anyways. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you don't ask even have to ask. I'll just yeah. be standing over yeah. your shoulder and be like, this sucks. Yeah. Hey, uh, <laughs> what are you doing on that acoustic? Yeah, yeah um, thing, will you? But, but anyways, the gist there, though, is that, you know, there's so much dynamic and there's so much different type of tonality that can come out of the thing that like, it actually was helpful to put it on multiple faders. True, true, yeah, yeah. A, B. That's, a, that's a nice, a neat little trick, you know, especially with the digital stuff. It's, well, uh, you know, another thing that I, I think is kind of interesting is um, if you have a show where a player uses multiple acoustics, right? Maybe they're different tunings or something like that, but they're physically different guitars. Uh, putting them all into the same acoustic channel yeah. is kind of not great. Right. Right. Totally. Because each of those instruments needs to be treated a little bit differently because they have different resonances, different tonality. Um, if you can put them into different channels, right? So acoustic guitar one goes in this channel, acoustic guitar two goes in the next channel, three, four, five. If you have the ability and the number of IO to be able to do that. Yeah. If you don't, you can do it with snapshots, but if you ever make an EQ change during the show, you need to make sure you store that to that snapshot. And that gets really complicated because a song later, you need to make sure that that acoustic tone shift was populated to that song later where they go back to that same song. It gets really messy. Yeah. Yeah, it's like the it's like the recording workflow, you know. You'd have if you had th- that situation in a in a you know, mixing a record, you just make you know it'd be on another track and it would have its own all its own set of processing there you know it's own eq and all that crap so exactly um so i feel like we've eaten up way more time than i think we thought we were going to as we're going through this we went in but it kind of became an acoustic guitar episode too you know what we kind of knew that was going to happen. Yeah. We're going to do some more strings episodes later on, too. So, we do have yeah. more strings episodes. More strings, yeah. yeah. I want to keep digging into acoustic guitar for a minute here, though. So what about dynamics on acoustics? Joe, is there anything in particular you do here? Um, there will be some sort of layer of kind of soft compression to catch transients. You know, big transients, and um, I, I I I tend to go in a little bit with multiband as well, um, okay. to try to uh, you know 
again, all depends on the scenario. I'm thinking of one particular band, but um, you know where it's one acoustic guitar, and there are a few different. It, it is played a few different ways. It's not super extreme, but there is some dynamic in how it's played throughout the set, and so how I kind of keep that consistent is with a you know is with something like F6 or. Um, or C6 or some sort of multiband EQ, uh, or sorry, multiband compressor or dynamic EQ. So, so what are you trying to achieve with the multiband? Is is it kind of are you targeted around maybe like the boom area and like the stringy area? Precisely, precisely. Okay. It's all about just keeping that consistent. So the threshold set at a spot where, you know, it, I, I've got like a tone dial to that high pass and and like a low shelf is kind of like shaping that low end to approximately where I want it to be, and then in the instances where the person plays you know kind of softer or like with fingers and the low end goes a little crazy it's it's mitigated with the dynamic eq and and same thing for the the stringy stuff when the when the picking gets a little bit harsh there are a couple of uh dynamic bands that are dipping you know um, so how how much compression do you think you're doing when it's really getting dug into I is mean, it probably more than you want to admit? It, it's it's more than I wanted to admit um, to admit. Sure, but also it's it's a, it, you know with a, I, acoustic is one of those instruments that it doesn't I feel like lend well to compression. It's it's right. very audible. It becomes nasty really quick. It's not like a bass where you can just slam the shit out of it and like it's I agree, all good. Yeah. It's it's very noticeable. So um, that's where attack and release times kind of come in too. You know, so you you really want to focus on that and try to like. You know, go as far as to like matching tempos with songs if you can for release times and things like that. Uh, in the high end, I tend to lead towards slower release times to kind of, but I don't know. It, yeah, it's. Uh, Brendan, how about yourself? How, how heavy or how heavy-handed do you get with dynamics on acoustic guitars? I mean, I have been somewhat heavy in the past, just with like a basic compressor. I probably wouldn't do that so much now, but usually I'll like. I don't know if I'm a lot of times if I'm running into people just like smashing it, you know, on the lab parts, then I'm probably going to hit it with like three to six dB of compression. <laughs> like, Damn. I mean. <laughs> Damn, bro. Right in that safe zone. Uh, yeah. <laughs> just. I mean, um, the truth, truth is, dude, yeah, I, I, I land in the same place, too, even when I don't want to. Sometimes yeah. more. Yeah. I mean, I just more. don't want it to get crazy. I Or I, I want to. It sounds crazy. Yeah, well, yeah, that's that's the thing. It's audible. It's super audible on an acoustic guitar when you're smashing it. But um, you know, if if you've got dynamics with a mix control or you know an easy way to do parallel, I feel mm. like you could get away with kind of um, what do they call it? Uh, uh, not reverse compression, but you know the, the upward compression. Upward compression. You know, you can get away with a bit of the upward compression there to bring some of the quiet parts up rather than making it sound like the uh, loud parts are smashed downwards, you know? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, I think that could help. Uh, what about other effects? Is there anything else in particular you guys do? Uh, sometimes a little bit of saturation is nice. Okay. I've tried like making a fake stereo image of a single acoustic guitar. How'd you do that? Doubling oh. it up and delaying one side by a tiny little bit, and pan ah, the Hass effect. Yes, yes, panning them left and right, and or maybe mm -hmm. just like not all the way left and right, just like kind of left and right, just to give it a little more thicken it up. Thicken it up. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You know, to go to go back to uh, 
what we're talking about earlier about intent, right? And um, whether something is a, you know, lead instrument or kind of a background instrument and all that, Mm -hmm. you know, the stereoizing of an acoustic can lend itself really well to putting it in the background without making it, um, I don't know, small. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You get it out of the center, you yeah. put your vocal in the center and all those other things in the center, but you know. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I tend to, not tend to, pretty much always have some sort of dense, short-ish reverb on that acoustic. Yeah. And I don't even mean this one that we've inserted and we've talked about that, but like something to just smooth it out. So yeah. if I want it to be a background instrument, I'm using something to try and make it a little bit less transient, a little bit more legato. Mm-hmm. So, you know, pretty dense, probably like a plate. You know, one of those things, it's like actually quite audible. Mm-hmm. Um, it, has, it has a little bit of a, yeah, a nice tail. Yeah, just to kind of smooth it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do that most of the time. And the amount of that is all dependent on how far forward you want this thing to sound and how smooth you want it to sound, you know? Mm-hmm. Nice. Any other special stuff you guys do? Chorus can be cool. Chorus? It can be cool it's, if it's appropriate, you know, if it's something super subtle just to again just like something to smear it a little bit mm-hmm. you know it doesn't mm-hmm. even it doesn't have to be like an audible like oh that's a fucking chorus you know but like a stereo you know on a stereo return something to widen it up just to widen it up and and yeah again that kind of smear mm-hmm. you know for for as much we talk about clarity and struggling yeah. to achieve that sometimes I, sometimes it's the opposite you need to I, smear it a little what we didn't really talk about too is like the difference between like what the monitor engineer is doing and what the front of house engineer is doing. But I feel like the clarity for the monitor engineer is more important than the clarity out front. I don't know. That's just kind of my, my feelings on it. it. Yeah. It, it, it depends on, um, depends on the context of where that instrument sits in the mix as a whole for the front of house engineer. But I mean, I would lean to you being correct there. Yeah. 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 You know, another thing that chorusing helps you with is, uh, on an acoustic, if you strum it really hard, you actually detune it in the hit, you know, you hit it and it's actually out of tune and then it bends back into tune and that kind of thing, depending on how hard you're hitting it or how hard you're fretting it and stuff like that. So if you've got players that are like kind of mash it a little bit and they're like kind of messing the tuning up a little bit by hitting it too hard, adding a tiny bit of chorusing can kind of, you know, smush that up and like, 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 you know, muddy it up just enough that you can't really tell that it's out of tune. Instead, it just feels like it's like, close you know depending on where that kind of like lfo is going with the chorus it might even like tune it you know (laughs) if you you know it's not even necessarily necessarily about pulling it into tune it's about making it so that it takes up more of the tune if that makes sense you know because there is that bit of a flex like a whole range yeah 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 so it's like as long as some part of that range is in tune then it like it works (laughs) (laughs) but it sounds better than it very clearly being like flat on the first note and then kind of sliding in or you know or whatever it might be or sharp on the first note you know yeah um so yeah, that's a weird way to make it work. But then, you know, stereoizing, I also do stuff like what you just said, Brendan, you know, something like the Haas effect, I'll send it to a stereo delay. So that there's a little bit on the left, a little bit on the right, and that's different. So it feels wider. Yeah. Um, I do the same thing for violins, violas too, mm-hmm. because for the most part, when I deal with violins and violas, it's meant to sound like a, a, a bigger group. Right. Right. And sometimes it's even playing along with playback of violins and violas or something like that. Mm-hmm. So if I can do something that kind of doubles it up or makes it wider, something like a waves doubler or or a pitch shift on left and right or a chorus or any of those tricks, all those things that make it seem like it's multiple instruments, uh, it can be pretty helpful. Absolutely. Any 
last thoughts you want to throw in here? I mean, I know, I know we kind of glossed over monitoring a bit. Mm -hmm. Um, I think a, a good point to kind of dig into with monitoring is, you know, feedback of these instruments is tough to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's tough because they all have like hollow resonant bodies mm -hmm. and the feedback tends to start at the resonance of that body. <laughs> I was just going to say, it's going to start somewhere in the low end and the sooner you can identify and kind of notch it out, you know, the better or high pass it out. Yeah, I think I think be comfortable with high passing higher than you might normally go and even low passing lower than you might normally go to just make sure that like the really relevant frequency spectrum is what's going through your monitoring. Yeah. Now, I guess I'm implying this for wedges versus in-ears and in-ears right. you can kind of get away with whatever. Yeah. You know, just make it sound nice. Yeah. But yeah, wedges and some of these instruments can be really tough. Yeah. Yeah, especially when you're weighing it against the musician's expectations and what they want it to sound like. Again, they're going to be looking for this warm, natural sounding thing. And especially if it's a DI, it might, you know, out the gate sound like this harsh, gnarly, fucking right in your face thing that, yeah. that is a little bit jarring. So finding that balance um, is the name of the game. And we challenge you all to... <laughs> To, to, to mix a bluegrass band to mix that Joe a bluegrass band please we challenge, please. <laughs> challenge you to tell all your string playing musician friends to buy their own in-ears and bring them to the show yeah. yeah but also challenge all of them to listen to the output of the DI that they probably don't have yeah <laughs> but buy a DI system buy an internal mic system listen to it be aware of what your instrument sounds like coming out of your instrument then you have a better expectation or more accurate expectation better perception of what your engineer is doing to make this work in the house or work in monitors well said wait was the, was was the moral of this story that it's not our fault it's their fault <laughs> oh man i mean i didn't really mean it that way but yeah i guess that is kind of what i said isn't it pretty much yeah no, it's not about no. fault. Yeah, it's about yeah. us all doing something really yeah. well together. All, and if we all do it really well together, then we all succeed. We're right? all on the same team. Yeah. yeah. All right, guys. Yeah. Shall we close it out? Let's do it. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for all the streams. Thanks for listening to the kick drum episode a million times. You know, <laughs> if we get to 10 million <laughs> plays on that thing, we'll uh, you know, do something special. We'll throw a party. Yeah. 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 Kick drum party. <laughs> Find us on our Facebook group. Email us at feedback at livesoundbootcamp.com and keep listening. Thank you all. Thanks again to our sponsor, Rational Acoustics. Visit www.rationalacoustics.com for information on sales, training, and all things system measurement.